بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد The author Imam Muhasibi who's considered to be one of the greatest in this field and his book is extremely considered to be an extremely important book in this subject a foundational text so the last time we covered this aspect that wahdhar mawatin al avoid places that lead to heedlessness that cause you distraction from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, I, and we, as we discussed that, that was something very difficult to do nowadays because the distraction is in our very hands. You don't even have to go anywhere to be distracted. You can be distracted alone with your phone. <clears throat> then he talked about darawat al-shahwa, which is the addiction of the addiction, the pull to desires when it becomes a. And this is probably one of the biggest things that anybody deals with in terms of. In, the, in their path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even the serious ones that want to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, probably one of the biggest challenges is dealing with this aspect is that I just love these particular things too much. And I can't get out of it. They just create too much desire in me and they fulfill a certain type of desire. And we become slaves of these things. So it becomes very, very difficult. That's, I would say, is probably one of our biggest problems. Right? So now... Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he has some real good advice about this. He's saying that if, you, if, we, if, you, if we try to think about what the consequence of this is going to be, slowly, slowly, we try to think about the consequence. <clears throat> While we're about to embark on an act of shahwa, when the shahwa and the desire has taken over, and we just can't avoid it then it's very difficult to think about things at that time because the, the shahwa, the desire, clouds our mind. You've got no time to think at that time. We're single-minded. At that time, we're very tunnel-visioned. It's just like a person who's just cross-eyed with love. There's nothing that can show any defect otherwise. Somebody would have to probably slap him out of that. We don't want to slap from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that would be really... To be, to be honest, I mean... It, I'm sure those who are serious wouldn't even mind a slap from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That would be better off than actually getting involved in the in the haram desire that it was. So the way to do it would be to constantly be thinking about how bad it is. Because by constantly thinking when we're not in that state, generally when a person commits a shahwa, then after that they regret it immediately afterwards. But it's about doing it at a neutral time as well. So that maybe by doing so, we will then put into place measures that will help us avoid the situation to start with. Because generally for most shahawat, there are triggers. There are triggers, there are two aspects. There are triggers, as soon as you see them, as soon as you think about them, as soon as they are brought in front of us, somebody mentions them or whatever, they create a, leap, a relapse. And this, any addiction study would show you that. There's huge amounts of studies for that. But number two... There's also the habit factor. You can only be addicted to something if you have a habit. And the nafs wants its pull. It wants its fix. I was just reading about a drug addict the other day. For the last 20 years, this woman has been a drug addict on heroin. And basically the questions to her were, what do you think about when you get up in the morning? I think about getting my next fix. 
What do you think about in the afternoon? About getting my next fix. What do you think about in the evening? Just about getting my next fix. Because she says that by the time I've managed to get it, do it, it's needy time for the next one. She's lost her children in this. She's lost her husband. She's lost everything. And she has to resort to petty crime in order to try to feed this habit. She's been in and out of prison numerous times, but that's just all part of the lifestyle right now. That is what the addiction has has created. Now we understand that to be a... We generally think that that's a different kind of addiction to our addiction to other forms of sin that are not considered to be illegal, that are not supposed to be maybe chemical in nature. This we can understand, we can do studies, there's a chemical reaction and so on. But there's the same thing now that we know about concepts of dopamine and estrogen and all of these other things. Addiction in terms of shahwat and desire, they also fall into that same thing, my belief is. But I don't think anybody wants to research it. And the reason is that it's too much based on faith. You're too, the modern world is too much based on anti-faith that you should be able to do whatever you want in the postmodern world. So I don't think there's anybody who wants to really try to link that together because it's going to be seen as introducing uh, some lowly self, the Satan, devil, and all of these things are kind of mythical in this time and age. But we know very much that this is what it is because the reason why we do certain things is that you get that rush in your brain. It makes you feel good. That's all it does. It just makes you feel good. There's nothing happening outside sometimes in some of the things. It's just something internal feeling that you get. By watching certain things, by hearing certain things, that's all it does, really. So this is what Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, says in his Kitab al-Fawaid. He says that وَعَلَمْ أَنَّ الصَّبْرَ عَلَى الشَّهْوَةِ أَسْهَلُ مِنَ الصَّبْرِ عَلَى مَا تُجِبُهُ الشَّهْوَةِ To be patient, to restrain yourself from the desire, desire itself, from the initial haram desire, is actually easier. But in hindsight only, than to have to be then patient and persevere against the difficulties that create that are created by the desire afterwards, whether that be feelings, whether that be actual manifestations of some harm, whatever that consequences, it's actually easier to try to avoid the shahwa, the desire in the first place, than to try to have to deal with the fallout, the consequence, the evil influence, whatever it is. And then he says, for example, he says, فَإِنَّ الشَّهْوَةَ A desire, إِمَّا أَن تُوجِبَ أَلَمًا وَعُقُوبَةً It may end up creating for you or necessitating a pain or even a punishment from a legal perspective. Somebody steals, somebody does something else, maybe in a Muslim, in a Muslim land they may do something else that are maybe tolerated in a non-Muslim land but not in a Muslim land and they'll get in punishment for it. They may steal something, they may get beaten up for it. So, range of shahawat. It was probably easier not just, to, not just to have taken that thing in the first place. Than to then have to for, deal with all of this long-term aggravation. But if only that could be measured beforehand and contrasted beforehand, isn't it? That here, look, this is what I'm out to do, this is what I'm going to get from it. But if something goes wrong, this is what I'm going to get from it. In fact... If we do this comparison when we are in the throes of shahwa, in desire, then it actually makes the shahwa seem easier and the difficulties seem lighter. So we actually said, it's okay, I'll just do it, I won't get caught. So that's the wrong time to think about these things. We need to prepare for it from beforehand so that we don't even get closer to the 
trigger and we keep asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. Another one, it may, you may commit the shahwa, you may commit that desired haram act, but then it will actually prevent you from receiving a more superior act to it afterwards. So we may do something, but there was supposed to be something that would have given us greater pleasure had we waited, but we didn't. We took the, the lesser form for the immediate fix. That one is obvious. You will then end up wasting time because of this to fulfill this desire. And afterwards you're going to feel such a sense of loss of why you wasted so much time. And welcome to YouTube. You know, welcome to abundant WhatsApp and all the rest of it. We all know that afterwards at the end of the day, if we really honestly look back, we feel that we've wasted a lot of time today. We've wasted so much time today. But at that moment, it doesn't seem like wasting time because there's an immediate dopamine rush in the mind. There's an immediate benefit that's being provided that we feel. So then we only have to suffer the consequences later. Another one he says is, you may, in pursuing your shahu, which this one may be to do with criticizing somebody, abusing somebody, aggravating somebody, that by doing whatever you do, you may be destroying your own honor. Had you kept it, it would have been more beneficial for you to have kept your honor. I mean, this could apply to a number of things. You've done an act, and had you not destroyed your honor in this way to gain the shahwa, it would have been better for you to have had it. A lot of people would understand this. They end up doing acts, whether that be fornication, whether that be stealing, whether that be hooking up with the wrong crowds, going to a place that they shouldn't, people find out. And now the long-term reaction to it and the harm that's created by the stigma attached to it is much worse. That you have to be patient over that now and deal with it. It would have been easier to have dealt with not going to the gambling place in the first place or not have gone to the massage parlor or whatever it is that people are doing it would have been much easier to have avoided that one hour there than to avoid these now months maybe years people will never forget even when then you want to get married or something like that people are going to say you know he was caught doing this that and the other our people never forget this kind of stuff like they feel that it's important to disclose it to anybody that asks or not asks so at the end of the day, then you have to deal with this. So think about it in the long run. La ilaha illallah. And the next one is what I was explaining earlier, that either you're going to basically be squandering your honor. If you had kept that honor, it would have been better for you. So there's still a loss by doing the act. Then he says, either by doing the shahwa, you are going to maybe end up losing a bounty of Allah that had that bounty remained for you, you would have benefited much more from it and gained much more pleasure from it eventually. But you squandered it already. Allah gave you a chance, you squandered that chance, thus you don't get a bigger chance. Sometimes that could have, that could be, for example, a person didn't respect their spouse enough. And then after that, when they got divorced, and now they can't find a better spouse than that, and now they remiss, they want to go back to that spouse, but it's impossible. Because they gave three divorces just like that. There could be so many different things that this could apply to. 
أن تطرق لوضيء إليك طريقا لم يكن يجدها قبل ذلك By you doing whatever act it is you may be opening up the path for some lowly despicable person to have some control over you that he did not have before You got involved in the wrong crowd now you're being blackmailed You did the wrong thing and some somebody whether that be authorities or whoever and are blackmailing you to do something that is beyond your honor but you can't help it anymore How long is the punishment of that now? How long will you have to suffer that consequence for that initial mistake that we made? Another one, or it will bring about for you such anxiety, such sadness, such grief and such despair and such fear that it was just not worth doing the thing in the first place. All of the anxiety and everything that now it brings upon And then you compare it, you will be hitting yourself. Why did I do that? Why did I allow myself to do that? For example, one of them is questions that we generally get. Somebody struck his wife. She went and told the police. Police report. Restraining order. Children. Prevented children taken away. Etc, etc, etc. Somebody hit a child. All of these different things. For some people, it may even end up creating absence of knowledge. Uh, these are more for students, for ulama. If they get involved in something like that, then the amount of knowledge that they would have lost in the process is just not worth it. Whereas had they enjoyed that knowledge and benefited themselves and others from it, it would have been better. You may end up, this is very critical, though it sounds simple, in fulfilling the desire you may end up abusing a wali and a friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then Allah turns against you because Allah declares war against anybody who troubles his awliya so out of shahwa and desire for ego egotistic reasons maybe they tried to correct us in a nice way but we didn't want to accept it or maybe we just got involved in some kind of criticism for them for whatever reason Maybe they did do something wrong, but we went overboard in our criticism. One has to be careful. They has to keep everything in moderation. Otherwise, we end up losing. That's the nidham of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world. If you've done something wrong to me, I am allowed technically to do exactly that much back to you. But how do you quantify? How do you quantify? If you've taken a pound of me, 10 pounds of me, I can take 10 pounds of you. That's quantifiable. That's easily understood. I've taken 10 pounds, you took 10 pounds, khalas, finish. But if you've said something to me, right? when I say something back to you, but in the way that you said it, that was actually lighter than the way I said it. I said it to you in a big gathering. You said it to me in front of one person. But I now accused you of the same thing in front of a hundred people or online in front of millions of people. Now can you tell me which one is worse? Can you say, you said the same word to me, right? You called me something, I called you something back in front of a hundred people. Now you might, I might say, I only called you the same thing back, so I'm doing sayyatun No, it's had much worse impact because a hundred pe- people now know and they're going to call me the same thing. You may, it happens in school, people make nicknames up for each other. And that's one of the worst things you can actually do, though it seems such a simple form of laughter and humor. And a little, but creating nicknames is really, really bad. You know why? Because if they stick, then forever you're probably going to be sinful for them. 
Okay, imagine if you just call somebody fatty or somebody, I don't know, what, what are other names? You know, people, people have these names and the person doesn't like it, especially if it's not a nice name. And then it sticks. Until that name is being now used, then the initial person who formulated that name, imagine what's going to happen to that person. He gets the sin of everything because there's a, we have that tradition. So don't ever tuhzin waliyan. Another one which we never think about is that by doing this shahwa, this desire, we are actually preventing another bounty of Allah to come to us. We would ever, never know this actually, which is the worst thing. But a lot of people who, who have come out of it and who've been able to stop months or years of uh, indulgence, and then they say that, you know, the blessings that I've received afterwards, what has opened up to me, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. But that doesn't happen so often, does it? it? Sorry, it's difficult to fathom that because it means stopping and then trying. But we go by, we know that Allah always gives back. And we know that sins, they prevent blessings. We know that as well. So that's basically what it all falls into. For example, it's mentioned that there is a, in, in one of the times of the sultans, one of the Turkish sultans, I forget the name of the sultan, Mukhtar or somebody, he had this idea like Umar radiallahu an. You know like Umar used to walk around at night uh, as a normal person uh, to check what's going on. You know, there's time there were no lights in those days, so it was easier to do that. Nowadays it'd be difficult, you know, to, unless you disguised yourself. So he would walk around and one day he came across this guy lying on the floor, dead, dead. And he's wondering why people are going past him. And you know, in those days, people looked after these kind of people. So he was very surprised that there's nobody looking after this person, nobody taking, attending to them. And he was just really surprised. You know, I know you get, you get that in these days here. You get people, to, I, mean, I mean, there are some good souls out there who still help people like this. They'll call the ambulance, they'll try to do something. But otherwise, there are a lot of people who just walk past as well in this individualist time that we live in. But in those days, no. So he was quite surprised. So he asked people, what's going on? Oh, he was a big drunkard and used to visit the prostitutes. He was a massive drunkard and he used to visit the prostitutes. So we don't want to deal with him. Right? Like he's a totally despicable person. Every night he was doing the same thing. Every night he would go into the, the pub, the, the bar, whatever it was. And every night then you would see him in the, um, in the prostitute house. Okay. So finally... The Sultan, he went to his house and he asked his wife what the story was. That, you know, your husband, this, that and the other. She said, no, my husband was a wonderful man. Everybody else is saying something different. You're saying something different. What is going on here? He said, what he used to do is that the little bit of money, that whatever money he earned, he would go into the wine shop and buy up as much wine as possible, bring it home and he would drop it down the drain. Every day he would do that. Then he would go to the house of the prostitutes, you know, the, the place that they would be. He would hire one or two and he would say, look, you just sit here. I'll give you your money. You just sit here so that at least somebody's going to be saved. Every day he used to do that with whatever earning he had. But people didn't know that. They just thought that that's what he is doing. And I used to tell him, she said, that who's going to do your janazah prayer? And he would say, don't worry, my janazah will be done by the ruler himself. My janazah will be done by the ruler himself. And that's when the sultan realized the predicament and what had happened. 
So there's some ajeeb people in the world, but again, it, re- it takes some reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to get to this state. So he's saying that it is by committing a shahwa, a desire, it's actually going to very possibly, it is going to cut away and prevent, block and obstruct from us another bounty from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which should have been a much better bounty because once you start reveling in the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you see that He's giving you beyond what you can imagine, then that pleasure is greater pleasure than anything before it. But again, this is something that only somebody can tell us. To believe in it, we have to experience it. And in order to experience it, we have to do the hard work first. Sometimes Allah gives us before that. I mean, the other story about the drunken person. There was a drunken person and one of the sheikhs of the area, one of the awliya of the area, he's getting a dream that you need to send him for hajj. So he dismissed it. He must have thought it's just a random dream. For a few days, he, he receives the same dream. He sees this... Everybody knows this person to be this drunken person lost. I mean, I sometimes remember these kind of people. I mean, because, you know, on Lower Clapton Road, where I am, there's always somebody begging. There's always one or two or three guys, and you can tell they're in drugs. They're, they're, they're in another world, and they're just begging. And some days they just disappear, and you wish you could go and help them. But I don't know how you help such people. You know, it's they, they need some expertise and... Even when I looked at the Rohingya stuff, I was looking at this and I just broke down. I said, oh Allah, how shall I help them? I just, my dua to Allah is, oh Allah, give us the tawfiq to help such situations in the way you want us to be, them to be helped. Because one is we give money. Okay, that's a good thing. Right? One is we raise awareness. That's a good thing as well. But at the end of the day, what is the most effective thing only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows? And is it enough for us just to be giving money? What else can we do? So my dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was that, Oh Allah, allow us to do. Because then I think, okay, I'm doing all of this other work. I don't have time to go out to Bangladesh and try to or collect money and you know, like, actually get onto this. Because this has been happening for years, not just in there, but there's other places as well. So I'm doing some teaching, all of this. So then my dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was that, Oh Allah, allow me to do something that is the most useful. Allow me to fulfill my responsibility. We have to ask Allah for help, right? Because only Allah knows best. So this particular drunken person, whoever he was, finally, this particular wali of Allah, the sheikh, whoever he was, he got money together and he told the person, I'm going to send you for Umrah. I'm going to send you for the, to the haram. So the person agreed to go. And when he got there, he was praying in front of the Kaaba, first or second self, in front of the Kaaba, and he died there, in his Salat. And now people are surprised that what happened, how did he get such a great death, yet he spent his entire life doing these things. So again, the wife is consulted, because the wife knows more than anybody else, she should do at least. So the wife said, no, no namaz, no salat, no, no nothing. I can't think of anything good. He was abusive as well. There was nothing I can think of that he, was doing good. he would do good. And then she must have thought for a while and she thought, the only thing that I can think about is that we've got a neighbor, very poor, and they actually look after an orphan. And this person, my husband, 
He used to spend all of his money on all of these haram things. You don't get any money left in that because there's never enough money to spend on haram. Right? But he used to have a bit left. Whatever few pennies he had left, he would go and give to the next door and say, spend it on the orphan. I have a hope that Allah is going to give me a good death because of this. Allah accepts that. Such seemingly insignificant act. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives it to him from where he would never have imagined. He was not even intending to go for the Hajj or Umrah. He probably didn't have the money either. But Allah causes somebody else to send you. Can you see how we may be preventing ourselves from bounties, from gifts of Allah by committing, continuing to commit the sin? And finally, something which is the biggest is that in committing the, the deed of desire, it may eventually become a characteristic of yours that would be very difficult to shed. Because actions are what create characteristics. And when they become a character trait, then they become natural within a person, like second nature. Then it becomes very difficult to remove them. So these are all what Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, says are the destructions of following shahwa and if somebody ponders over all of them anything that we do whether we're wasting time online or uh, haram or whatever it is you'll find that it has to fit into one of these and it's just not worth it but the point is to actually think about these things beforehand so that we uh, it doesn't lead us to them the next point is as we said, that your worst enemy, the worst of your enemies is that nafs which is between your two sides. It's that nafs. That's basically your worst enemy. And the reason is that it is, uh, it's the enemy inside. Enemies inside are dangerous, as we all know. When you have the enemy outside, there's a lot of preventions you can do. When you have somebody inside that is helping the enemy, then you're in big trouble. And that's how so many wars have been lost. That's how Sultan Tipu, that's how he lost his glorious, uh, glorious uh, uh, rule. That's how he eventually died, despite his bravery. He had everything going for him. But people on the inside were bought. And when you have an enemy inside and you don't know, and that's traitoring, then that is one of the worst. And we have that in our own homes. We have that in our own bodies, in our own selves, which is our nafs. And then he says that what's really strange here is that you actually have control over this. Right? You actually have control because he says, It's only become your worst enemy because you've started obeying it. So we know that. It's like somebody's pointing it out already for us. Sultan Tibu didn't know. But we know. And that's the difficulty of, despite the fact that you know, it's so difficult otherwise. But may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us. Save that for many things in order to wean ourselves of certain things. Sometimes what helps is to actually go into what they call rehabilitation. Right? But how do you get rehabilitation from, for example, give me an example of a particular vice or a, a shahwa or something that's is, is considered legal in a sense and you can't find rehabilitation for it any, any ideas of certain shahwat it's understandable if you're alcoholic there's lots of help centers if you're a, 
into drugs, there's loads, lots of places. One would be listening to music. How, how are you going to get some rehabilitation for that? There's no place and say, we're going to take you off your addiction of music. It's not even considered a bad thing. Right. Looking at the haram. Okay, maybe there's for porn addiction. Maybe there's for that. I don't know if there are any places, but maybe there is for porn addiction. I'm sure there's going to be some, some kind of thing out there. But what about not looking at porn, but just looking at the lesser than that in the streets. Can't help it. Which is such a common problem. How do you deal with that? Which rehabilitation do you go to? Subhanallah. Because even when you're watching the news, that you can get involved in that kind of stuff. Even on pictures and so on. So, subhanallah, I think what that requires is you need some rehabilitation. You'll have to create your own rehabilitation for that. People will have to create their own. They either go out three days in Jamaat or something, no phone, nothing. Staying in the masjids and there's a concerted effort not to look out. Because you've got a time period. You see, if you try to do it at home, when you're normal, I'm not going to look. Then it's just, how long are you going to look for? It's several months. It's for the rest of your life. But when you've got a fixed measure that, I'm in Jamaat for three days or ten days, so I'm not going to look. I'm in Hajj for three weeks, two weeks, whatever it is. I'm in Umrah for two weeks. I'm not going to do it. In fact, Something that spoils a lot of people's hajj is this because you got men and women everywhere. And they're all Muslim as well, so they're all potential suitors in a sense. How difficult is that? So that's why a lot of ulama mention this that in your hajj be very careful because you could be just literally releasing all the rewards you're receiving by what you're doing by just looking around because there's so much to see. Right? So. But if a person goes there with this thought that I want to do it properly and for three weeks, two weeks, whatever it is, five weeks, I'm just not going to. Then they will find that the resilience they build up there can carry on elsewhere. You come back from Jamaat, you come back from a three-day conference, for example, a program, a spiritual retreat, whatever it may be, and you just haven't done it then, it then becomes easy as long as you've got the resolve to continue like that. So these are just some ways. And... That won't be enough. You'd have to do a huge amount of dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this useful. Because it's just the, shay- the shaitan and the nafs. When he- Once the shaitan has got the nafs, then it becomes very difficult. Shaitan is easy, you say, A'udhu billah min shaitan rajim But when it's the nafs, even A'udhu billah doesn't work in that case because it's not a shaitani problem. Shaitan just started it off. Now it's an addiction issue. So A'udhu billah doesn't help in that case. Because you're saying from the shaitan, shaitan's out of the picture already. He's done his job and gone away. So that addiction can only be generally dealt with through some kind of rehabilitation, some kind of abandonment for a period of time. And then after that, you come back and try to do it. That's what helps. And generally, the ulama mentioned that if you're able to avoid something seven times, because you will still keep getting the urges. If you try to do it seven times, if you manage to overcome enough seven times afterwards, then you'll get used to it because then you'll stop feeling like I need to look. You'll stop feeling like I need to do this. Because you've managed to see your nafs has been shown as well that it hasn't really harmed me to not look. It hasn't benefited me to have not looked. Because it doesn't benefit anyway. In fact, one of the Mufassirin, he says that وَخُرِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفًا You know the, the Quranic verse that insan has been created 
weak. He says that, how do you explain that? He says, haven't you seen that a man looks at women when they go past knowing full well, if you ask them, that they've got no chance of having them. They may be somebody else's wife maybe, or they may just never marry you. Because not every woman you see is going to marry you. I know this is a very man thing, right? Generally speaking, though it's a very, very woman thing now as well. It has become a very woman thing. Right? University students are constantly, I mean, it's not just university students, but this is where you get this idea from. Not to say you get this idea in university, it's just that it's that kind of environment it creates, so then everybody's looking for a suitor. So then you look at everybody potentially like that, and that's a problem. So, he says, have you seen a man, they look at everything that goes past, and they, have, they know they can't get it. So look how weak they are. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthen us, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow, allow us to weed out all of these weeds in our life. Because there's many people, mashallah, they try to do good. They try to, they are, they are regular on their salat, zakat, hajj, fasting. They try to avoid the big harams. But there are these smaller weeds that are, I mean, I mean we call them weeds, but we don't know how detrimental they are. Right? So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us all to weed our gardens, our Jannah, inshallah, to remove all of these weeds so that we can actually go into Jannah wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil adameen. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta ya adal jalali wal ikram subhanallah al-aliyya al-a'la al-wahhab Allahumma salli wa sallim ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim Oh Allah, forgive us our sins. Oh Allah, forgive us our excesses. Oh Allah, forgive us our shortcomings. Oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness from all of those sins that have, that has prevented your bounties from fully coming to us. O oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from all of those sins that has brought darknesses in our life, that has taken out the blessings from our life, those that have brought difficulties, and those that have prevented your barakat, your blessings, and your gift from coming to us. O oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness. O oh Allah, we ask you for the ability to repent to you. O oh Allah, we ask you to make our hearts of those that return to you. O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your light. O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your nur. O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your light. O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your nur. O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your love. O oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those who love you. O oh Allah, grant us conducive companions. O oh Allah, allow us to always be with people who are fearful of you. O oh Allah, allow us to be in this world as you want us to be. O oh Allah, give us those characteristics that please you. O oh Allah, make us of the muwaffaqeen, those who are divinely, who have the divine providence to do that which pleases you and that you're satisfied with. O oh Allah, allow us to be in the footsteps of your messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O oh Allah, you have given us this ability, you have given us this bounty of being believers O oh Allah, despite the troubling times outside, O oh Allah we ask you for greater strength O oh Allah, to great, for greater steadfastness to remain on our faith and O oh Allah, to always be moving moving ahead, O oh Allah we ask that you make every year in fact every day of us better than the previous one, O oh Allah, do not let us become worse, O oh Allah make us better, O oh Allah do not allow us to turn back O oh Allah, always allow us to go for, always allow us and push us forward.
Oh Allah, help us and our families and our children, our progeny until the Day of Judgment. Grant us protection. Oh Allah, grant us protection. Grant us the ability to do what's right. Oh Allah, accept us all for the service of your deen in whatever way, shape or form it is. Oh Allah, grant us all beneficial knowledge. Oh Allah, protect us from the wasting of time, from, in, from non-beneficial knowledge, from haram knowledge. Oh Allah, from haram shahawat. Oh Allah, we ask you for greater resolve in our hearts. Oh Allah, greater resolve in our minds. The ability to intel intelligently be able to see what's beneficial for us and what is harmful for us. And then the ability to follow it. Oh Allah, show us the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it. Show us the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. Oh Allah, we ask you for your tawfiq, for your assistance, for your protection. And oh Allah, for your help with whatever good projects that we have started. Oh Allah, bless White Thread Institute. Oh Allah, bless all of our other projects that any one of us may be doing. Whatever khidmah we may be able to offer, oh Allah, accept us and grant us sincerity in that. Oh Allah, allow us to help our Muslim brothers and sisters around the world in the way that they need to be helped. And oh Allah, in whatever best way you want us to help them in our situation. Oh Allah, grant us, direct us, and oh Allah, do not allow us to succumb to our nafs at any time. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us Yaqeen by which it becomes easy to deal with the issues of the world in the right way. O oh Allah, we grant us conviction. O oh Allah, grant us conviction. Grant us conviction. Do not make us contributors to the harm that is being created in this world in whatever way, shape or form. O oh Allah, make us of those who are assisting in removing the harm, in assisting in the balance of this world. O oh Allah, grant us the karima la ilaha illallah on our deathbed. O oh Allah, grant us full forgiveness for any wrongs that we have, we have done in the past, any difficulties that may have come off from there. Oh Allah, we ask that you erase it, like you do in our book of deeds, erase it from the minds of people in this world as well. Oh Allah, we ask that you make us yours, that you make us your, from your awliya, and that on the day of judgment you grant us company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Allah, we ask you finally to send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifuna wa salamun alal mursaleen. Walhamdulillah.